You are listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. To Faithful Men is a project that started in 2006 to digitize and preserve old sermon and study tapes of Elder Wally Flanagan, Elder Hassel Wallace, and Elder Mike Strevel. They were pastors and teachers, and they studied to teach and train up others to continue in the ways of truth. I am thankful to be able to provide you with these sermons and studies, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. Now, between chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Daniel, you have a period of 25 years of silence. There's a gap. In the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter ends with Nebuchadnezzar being the king. And uh, he was restored to his kingdom. But there's nothing in the Bible that indicates how long he reigned over Babylon after his restoration, after his experience of eating like a lion, see, an ox. All right? Uh, when, but it wasn't long uh, because his son, Evil Merodach, as taught in the Bible, he's the, he was the king where, and one of he's mentioned in the Bible because of his uh, uh, favor that he did to Jehorchin, who was the son of Jehorkim, you know. Jehorchin was king, and he was only king of Judah three months when Nebuchadnezzar captured him and brought him uh, down to Babylon. But now Nebuchadnezzar is dead. His son has ascended the throne. And the first thing he did in his first year he uh, granted Jehorchin his freedom. He had been in prison all that time. And uh, made him not only that, but made him an honorary citizen of Babylon among the Jews. Whatever happened to him after the restoration, well, the Bible has no reference to Jehorchin. Well, evil Merodach only reigned for two years. He was murdered by his brother-in-law, Nera Glisser. And Nera Glisser reigned for three and a half years. And then his, and he, in turn, uh, was, uh, was succeeded by his son, whom Nabonidus, uh, he only reigned nine months, his son. And his name was uh, Labask Marduk. He's also got another name, but the other one's worse than that. And then, uh, and then uh, Nabonidus ascended. The book of Daniel tells us that Belshazzar was the last king of the Babylonian Empire. History, all historians, and all uh, teachers of Old Testament history. Uh, the liberals had a field day uh, concerning uh, Belshazzar because there was no mention of him in uh, in history. Uh, Herodotus, the Greek earliest historian, had no record of him, never mentions him. But he mentions Nabonidus and says that Nabonidus was on the throne when Cyrus captured uh, uh, Babylon. Well, uh, so, 
uh, he reigned, Nabondus reigned, 17 years, according to history now. So the 17 years, plus the three and a half years of Neroglisser, the nine months of, uh, of uh, uh, Labask Marduk, and the three years of evil Merodach, um, add up to some 23 to 24 years. All right? Plus, however how long uh, Nebuchadnezzar reigned after he regained his throne, because in his in the end of it says that his kingdom was restored to him, and he had honor and brightness returned to me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. In other words, he was even more glorious after his, uh, after he reigned, after his experience of insane experience, after, so to speak. All right. Well, now that's the history uh, between the two chapters. The chapter five begins by saying Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Belshazzar uh, was a, a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the son of Nabonidus. Uh, history tells us that. And that's what solved this problem. Belshazzar was reigning as king in Babylon. His father, Nabonidus, uh, was, a, uh, was a religious, uh, a very religious man according to his religion. And he liked to deal in antiques. He liked to dig in the ground. He liked to, to check buildings and their cornerstone to see what was in those buildings. And he amassed uh, on earth many, many, just lots of them that are still today. Today are in the British Museum and uh, other, other museums in the world. And, uh, well, uh, he was always out doing that. Uh, but at this particular time, uh, Nabonidus was fighting for his life. At the, at the very time the chapter 5 opens, uh, Babylon is being sieged by Cyrus. Cyrus had already gone up uh, to Lydia. Now Lydia, the, uh, he had gone all the way through Mesopotamia, through Haran, where uh, Abraham stopped, you know. Well, he goes all the way across uh, Asia Minor, Sardis, captures Sardis, and uh, he captures Lydia. Well, Lydia was a strong kingdom that that joined the uh, the Aegean Sea. See, and just before you get just at Troas, where Paul was, you know, all right. When they left there to go across Philippi, well, now that section is called was ancient name was Lydia, and it was and Croesus was the king at this time. And he knew that he was going to have trouble with Cyrus. He knew the Persians were threatening his kingdom. Well, he wanted uh, the assistance of Egypt. He wanted Egypt to rebel against Babylon and uh, and Persia. At the time, Babylon was the king. They were they were the reigning kingdom. But but Cyrus is uh, is inching in on the sideline. He's trying to take over. Well. Belshazzar is uh, doesn't pay any attention to that, to the uh, the um, actions of Cyrus. 
Well, uh, Croesus uh, wrote a letter, sent it to Egypt, and was appealing for help. He also tried to get the ancient Assyrians up there, see at Nineveh, to turn against uh, Nineveh, against Cyrus. He wanted Babylon. He wanted to get word to Babylon, but he but he couldn't. All right. But in the meantime, Cyrus comes into Lydia and captures that territory and adds that to the kingdom, to his new kingdom that he his power. Well. Uh, that causes Nabonidus. He has to meet Nabonidus now. Nabonidus is the actual king of Babylon. Uh, Belshazzar, his son, is just reigning as vicegerent. See, he's just a, a substitute. He's a vice president. All right. Uh, so, uh, uh, in the, in the battle, Cyrus defeats Nabonidus. And puts him in jail as a prisoner in Borsippa. That's not far from Babylon. And uh, then he comes and sieges Babylon. Well, Babylon was a city, according to Herodotus and Berossus, uh, was a city that was 15 miles square. It had walls around it. The walls were 87 feet wide. 350 feet high and then on top of that wall there were 250 towers lookout post uh, and they were 100 feet higher than the wall which made 450 feet high and and uh, then uh, outside the wall of Babylon was a canal all the way around it filled with water deep so that no person could, uh, no army could attack this city. Now remember, just think, these walls are 87 feet thick now. And they're 350 feet high, so they can't, uh, the army can't scale it, you see, not in back in there. You got to think in terms of warfare in those days, see, 500 BC. And, uh, well, uh, so, Old Belshazzar was in there. They were having a possibly an annual, yearly feast. It was a uh, honoring some god, and uh, they were just having a, going to have a good, good time. Uh, and uh, so Cyrus has uh, he he and his armies all are ready to. They're trying to attack. They figured out some way. Well, uh, history tells us that uh, Cyrus. Uh, uh, diverted the stream, the river Euphrates, by, made a bypass, that he dug a canal. And this history says that uh, for two and a half years, uh, uh, Cyrus had been uh, making inroads to turn to divert the canal. See? Because the only way he could get in the city was through that riverbed. He wanted to, he wanted to turn the water out of there so he could just. Uh, march right in the, in the riverbed, and history tells us that that's the way it's done. But the Bible tells us that uh, the gates were open. All right, it was the river gates that was open, great locks, and uh, uh, so uh, uh, both may be true. I mean, the history, the Bible is true. The the historical uh, portion can be true too. 
uh, he could have diverted the water. It could come under there. But, uh, and at the same time, uh, the Bible tells us that the gates were open. Well, so, but Belshazzar, <laughs> now, he was, uh, he was, uh, had made a great feast, and uh, a thousand of his lords, uh, they came, and they drank wine. Uh, see, <clears throat> all right, the, these lords, these rulers, these sheriffs, these counselors, these uh, provincial men, uh, now they, they drank a while, and, and then Belshazzar got to uh, tasting that wine, and, and he remembered uh, that in the museum, place where they'd kept the, the palace, where they kept all these treasures, see, uh, the Bible has already told us, Daniel's already told us that, that he took these treasures and put them in his treasure house. The, the gold cups and glasses and implements that came out of the temple in Jerusalem. So uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, after he got a few drinks under his belt, uh, he felt sassy and he was mean and he was a wicked old cuss anyway. And so he's, uh, he commanded uh, for the to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem and the king and his princes his wives and his concubines might drink therein then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem and the king and his princes his wives and his concubines drank in them they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, and of brass, and of iron, and of wood, and of stone. Now you see, uh, his great sin here, Belshazzar, was totally uh, unconcerned with the affairs of the state, uh, that is, with the protection, the security, the safety of uh, uh, Babylon. Uh, Then, uh, in his drunken spree, he... Uh, he goes against the providence of God. God had a purpose for these cups, see, and these golden vessels. And uh, and if if Nebuchadnezzar hadn't have brought them to uh, to Babylon, the uh, uh, Samaritans and others, you see, would have uh, would have pillaged them. Of course, when he conquered the city and destroyed it, why well, he made sure that he'd get it. But if he had left it. Uh, just demolished where well, somebody would have just picked it up just like uh, just like raiding it well God saw to it that these were kept and uh, and that Nebuchadnezzar kept them safely well while he was using them to drink instead of uh, of having any any concern or any respect for these vessels well, he praised the gods of Babylon, you see, of wood and of stone, at the silver and so on and iron. Well, in the same hour, mention the verse as we go along. Where we all right later day we can keep up with you. Buddy. Yeah, all right. Verse five. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Now in these two verses, verse 5 and verse 6, you have the story 
of the bone-rattling, knee-knocking nut. That's Belshazzar. Um, all right, now why, when he saw the hand, now notice, he saw just a hand disconnected from a body, chiseling, engraving, in the wall. He didn't have a paintbrush and paint it, but he chiseled it in the wall. Uh, and uh, he saw that hand. But he became troubled. Well, why did he... Uh, uh, why did he get scared? Why should he be afraid? Why should his knees knock? Why should his backbone come out of joint? Now, uh, Elijah was upon the Mount Carmel, and uh, he went over and, and 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 got on the ground, and he prayed to God. He thanked God for the victory that he'd already. Uh, demonstrated there, and he was praying uh, that the rain now might come. And he had a servant, uh, some boy, some man was helping him. Well, he told him, he says, "Go out there and take a look across the sea, see if you see any sign of a of a cloud." And the boy went six times, and no came back and told him, "Lie, no, I didn't see nothing, no sign of rain." Well, go back the seven times. He went back that seven times came back and he says yeah I saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand well why didn't Elijah get scared Elijah didn't get scared his knees didn't tremble why because he was happy he, he thanked God he praised God why? he says well the rain's coming uh, there's going to be abundance of rain and then he told old Ahab to get in his chariot and get going and then Ahab outrun um, then Elijah outrun Ahab even in the chariot him on foot well uh, now the reason why uh, Belshazzar got his knees began to knock the reason why he was troubled it was the it was the power of an awakened stricken conscience his conscience was bothering him uh, he uh, now you take uh, uh, Adam God I no telling how long God uh, visited Adam and Eve, came down and talked with them. Whether it was days, how many days, we don't know how many days, we don't know where it was months, we don't know how many years, or where it was years. Indeterminate, indefinite number of uh, a length of time. But every time when God came, why Adam was just, uh, and Eve, why they looked forward, no doubt, to the visitation of God. But one day, they heard the voice of God and they were scared to death. And they hid themselves. Why? Because they had sinned. See? Old Herod, old Herod Antipas, he was the Herod that was uh, king. Herod the Great had died uh, shortly after Jesus was born. But and then arose another Herod, Herod Antipas, uh, was uh, uh, was ruling, and uh, uh, Jesus came on the scene, and uh, during his ministry, and he was performing miracles here and there, and his fame was just uh, going all over uh, Judea and Samaria and Galilee. See, well, but what? Ha- but uh, uh, well, now Herod 
Antipas, why, he ought to have been proud to have a subject in his kingdom that could uh, turn water to wine or that could uh, still the tempest or that could heal all manner of sicknesses, feed multitudes. Well, he heard all about that. But instead of rejoicing, what happened to old Herod? He was troubled. He was scared to death. The reason for that was he had killed the first Baptist preacher. He put John the Baptist to death, don't you see? Ordered his execution. And what did he say, though? He said he feared because he thought that John the Baptist was raised from the dead. He said, that must be John the Baptist. He's the greatest man he ever heard, see? Well, that scared him. His conscience bothered him. But now... But now old Herod Antipas said that, and he ain't supposed to believe in the resurrection. He's a Sadducee. He was, his whole background was, was uh, cast with a lot of the Sadducees, not with the Pharisees, but with the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But buddy, his theology gave way when, when, when his conscience got to knocking him on, see? He interpreted the events that he heard in the light of a guilty conscience. And a, and a criminal, a guilty man uh, that's running from the law, why he can hear soft footsteps and he gets scared of them. Why? Because a guilty conscience is scared of the unknown. Whatever's out there, whatever it is, he doesn't know what it is. He's scared as long as it's unknown to him. But when he finds out what it is, well, then they can uh, they can relax a little. See, that's the way old Belshazzar was. He was scared and his knees knocked and, until he could get some relief and he hadn't had any relief. And he called his wise men in. Looked like he'd get tired of calling them old boys in. Don't they? they hadn't told a thing. They couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar anything. Belshazzar calls for him. Oh, he calls aloud. And he won't say one of them. And they came and... Uh, well, just like they were before, completely. You know, look, if I'd have been, I believe if I'd have been one of them hypocritical Pecker Woods, I'd have made up some kind of answer to give them. But they didn't even open them out. Why? Because God was reserving the answer for Daniel. And Daniel, so then, uh, uh, so then in, uh, and that's what happened down here, uh, uh, down here in Guyana. Uh, old, uh, this old boy, uh, Jim Jones. Look what he did. 400 people. See? He had, he had already taught these people, uh, how to commit suicide. See? And brother, when old Ryan and these other boys came down then, and, uh, and they, they were about to expose, uh, his racket, see? And he just couldn't live with his conscience. And then he issued the command, no doubt, for them to shoot, to kill him before he got on the plane, see. Uh, and then he led that bunch, told them then, and started giving them Kool-Aid and cyanide mixed to the little kids. And four, over 400 of them died. Well, now, uh, he, he did that. Uh, I mean, now, that's, that was conscious catching up with it. He, the, the end of the empire hadn't come, but he thought it had, don't you see? That's all he could hear. That's all he could make out of this trip. 
because he knew that Ryan had been his enemy and that people had been uh, trying to find out uh, what what all this was about. All right. Verse uh, 7, uh, the king answered loud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing, and show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now you see there are three things. He promised him to make a cardinal out of him. Give him a, give him a scarlet... Uh, uh, clothing, see? And then put a gold chain about his neck. Oh boy, he'd be something. And then the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, now that, uh, uh, notice that expression. Third ruler in the kingdom. Well, Belshazzar was the second ruler in the kingdom. Nabonidus, a man that the Bible didn't mention. See, he was, but history says, he was the last king. He was king when Cyrus came into Babylon. And so, uh, when they dug up their plates in 1845. That hadn't been too long ago, see. Uh, they dug up their plates in 1845 and found that Nabonidus, where Nabonidus was given an order, issuing a statement uh, about uh, that that his kingdom, he wanted, if something happened to him, he wanted his, his son, his favorite son, Belshazzar, uh, to take to uh, take the kingdom. Well, when they found found that, well, then there's Nabonidus. Uh, he says, "I Nabonidus, my favorite son Belshazzar." All right, that's that it, it, that cleared up the mystery. You see, so Nabonidus was the actually king. Belshazzar, his son, reigning with him. Now Belshazzar said, I, uh, "The highest position you that's open for you is third place." My father is number one man. I'm number two, and you'll be number three in the kingdom. Or whoever. Now, that's what he offered to these wise men. Then came in all the king's wise men, and all of the king's uh, uh, king's wise men, and they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him. And his lords were astonished. See, he's still scared. He's still white as cotton. That hand up there, it's gone, but them words up there, what do they mean? They scared him. Well, they might have been good news. All he knows, he doesn't know what they are. The wise men don't know what they are, so it could have been good news to him. But his conscience is telling him that 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 means judgment. That's bad news for him. See, he can't get reconciled. So, then... uh, uh, verse 10 tells us about the queen mother. Now the queen mother in uh, uh, ancient Babylon and, and uh, in that age with Assyria and others, uh, the queen mother had power. They were respected. They, uh, but Belshazzar's wife or any wife or any concubine of the king's well, they were just, they had houses for them. Had, had houses for the wives in one palace, concubines in another place. They kept them. That's the way the kings lived in those days. They'd, they'd put them out, different one. And, uh, well, they, uh, they had no uh, official place of business. 
official rule or title. But now then, here comes the queen mother. And she wasn't that deep. Uh, she perhaps is too old. And no doubt that this uh, is uh, this is evil Merodach's wife, no doubt, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, uh, or it may be uh, in history, the, uh, Herodotus uh, talks about a woman by the name of uh, Eurydicus. And uh, they think maybe that that's who this woman is. That, if so, that would be Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And she would stand in a high position. Anyway, this, uh, uh, this woman uh, was related to Belshazzar, related to Nebuchadnezzar, because of the terms that uh, used, we'll find, we'll notice as we come to it. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king, and his lords came into the banquet house. See, she hadn't been in there in this drunken uh, mess. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Where is he, Belshazzar? What would you do with him? Belshazzar don't know him. He don't know nothing about him. He don't know Daniel. See? See, there's uh, 23 years past. And in during this gap, Daniel got sidetracked, see? They didn't want that old man. He's done, he's uh, uh, 90 years old, between 85 and 90 years old now. Well, he's too old. We don't need him in the kingdom anymore. All right. But this woman, who is also elderly woman by now, and she says, thy father, he, she knew all about it. She she knew about him interpreting dreams when the wise men failed. And uh, she said, well, he's in thy kingdom. Well, uh, for as much, verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. And he will show the interpretation. See, she believed him. She had faith in him. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jury? Now the expression father, as it's occurred here three or four times, uh, can mean... Father can mean grandfather. It can mean a descendant. Just somebody in the line of somebody. You see, now like uh, when Jesus, uh, when at the uh, prophesying of his birth, uh, thy father David. See, talking about of the lineage, you see. Uh, so, uh, then was Daniel, uh, all right, uh, verse 14 says, I have even heard of thee, 
I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee. He just heard. He hadn't. He didn't know about it before. See, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, and they uh, that they should read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, thou shalt be, and he makes the same promise to Daniel that he made to the, to the wise men, clothed in scarlet, have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. All right? Beginning with verse 17, <laughs> you have the... Uh, interpretation of the dream. However, the interpretation is held in abeyance until Daniel gives this little boy uh, a little uh, a review of history. He reminds him what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and uh, that he hadn't profited one bit by what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And the experience of Nebuchadnezzar was to the intent that the kingdoms, that nations, that people, that rulers might know that there was God in heaven that ruled over these kingdoms, these earthly kingdoms, see, and that his dominion was everlasting dominion. Well, uh, so verse 17, Daniel answered and said before the king, he said, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now, uh, you see, uh, what good would a crown from a man who's going to have his head chopped off uh, in less than 12 hours? In fact, uh, no doubt, probably less than five hours. Because this was night, and that night... <coughs> And no doubt they had already drunken pretty good, you see. They sent for these uh, vessels that came from the temple in Jerusalem, and they drank out of that, and that didn't make their wine taste a bit better. But uh, they just he just wanted to show his disrespect and, uh, to the God, uh, to the God of the Jews. All right? So uh, uh, Daniel uh, says to him, O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. And when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride... He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men. That his rule was not just in heaven, but he ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart 
though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and of gold and of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Now, Daniel had to get some things off his chest, didn't he? He, he, now this old boy was sitting there just standing there knocking and trembling and, and, and troubled and, and, and here Daniel preaching to him. Don't you know he enjoyed that? Then was part at that time, see, then and, and this, he tells, he says, and this is the writing, uh, then was, uh, verse 24, then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this writing was written. And this is a writing that was written. Meany, meany, tickle, you farsen. And this is an interpretation of the theme. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, now notice in verse 28, the word euphorson becomes Perez. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. How does that word Perez get in there instead of saying euphorson? Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. All I know is what these uh, Hebrew men tell me. But I know this much. I know that the word, the, the whenever a Hebrew word ends in I am or I-N, it's a plural. Like cherubim, cherub is singular. Cherub is singular. Cherubim means two angels or two uh, holy ones, see? And cherub means one, single. All right? The word Perez down here, you see? All right? It's, it drops the plural. The I-N. The I-N's cut off. The U is dropped. Well, any Hebrew word where the word where the letter U precedes uh, another word uh, in the letter, it means and. Just simple, it's and, it's A and D, and so and so. All right, now, many means that God hath numbered thy kingdom. Tickle thou art weighed in the balances and found warning. Perez. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. See? Uh, the word Perez, Eupharsin, means divided. But instead of a plural division, the one kingdom is divided among two people. See? You don't have two kingdoms, but you have two nations, two formerly independent, powerful uh, nations, countries with historical backgrounds but they both at the same time become the recipients of this kingdom it's divided now that's important it don't look like it here but liberalism 
all those, all Bible teachers and commentaries and books that you read and that'll tell you that Daniel was written in 165 B.C. will tell you that the uh, fourth kingdom is the Grecian kingdom. The first kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. The second kingdom, the Medes. And the third kingdom, the Persians. See? Making two separate kingdoms. Medes reign a while. And then the Persians reign a while. Medes have a worldwide kingdom, and the Persians have, but not so. There's no such thing in history. After the after uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, after the Babylonian kingdom fell, there was no such thing as a worldwide Median kingdom. But they combined. The nations were swallowed up in one another, and they were the Medes and the Persians. All right. Uh, then in verse 30, uh, in that night, no, we go back to verse 29. Then commanded Belshazzar, <coughs> and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Boy, that was a short reign, <laughs> because in just a few minutes, verse 30 becomes a historical fact. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. See, he didn't get to hold that, that office long. And verse 31. The end is coming, is that right? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, Cyrus, who had been outside, see, had got inside and came in and, uh, and captured him that very night. And verse 31 says, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Darius was sixty-two years old. Some uh, historians tell us, of course we don't know from the Bible, historians tell us that Darius was the father-in-law of Cyrus. See, and uh, if so, he, was, uh, he took the kingdom while Cyrus was uh, solidifying all of the territory. Now then, here's something else you, you need to notice here. Darius the Median took the kingdom. Now, this expression, kingdom, what is meant by kingdom? See, and someday we will study together, as we will, if we go on Revelation, we'll bring in the kingdom of God. What is meant? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, see? All right. Now, here uh, in Daniel, uh, the, the kingdom... It's a transfer of power. That night, Belshazzar no longer had any authority. He couldn't reign. He was no king. He was a dead man. And Nabonidus had already been captured, his father. Cyrus had already, he's got him in Barsippus uh, in prison. Uh, and uh, his army defeated there's no such thing as a Babylonian army now. They were taken with Nabonidus. Now, Daniel, uh, Darius the Medan, took the kingdom. The, he was the authority to rule over the same territory that Darius, that Belshazzar had. Don't see? Now, a kingdom may mean simply the authority to rule. It may mean the territory out there. Well, in the meantime, Cyrus had conquered nations that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, little communities 
and kingdoms uh, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't have. So he had conquered some more territory. But a kingdom might mean territory. It may refer to the territory, the land, the, all together. It may mean the territory plus the people, the inhabitants of that territory. And, uh, and it may simply be uh, um, uh, the, uh, represent the authority that a man has having been crowned king. See? All right. Now, in Isaiah 40, 15, uh, and, and we'll finish this, uh, if you got to... All right. Uh, in Isaiah 40, 15, Isaiah tells us, represents nations now. Uh, and you'll hear a lot of people lamenting over this Guyana affair because there's involved 400-something people. All right, and it is a, a great tragedy as far as that's concerned. And an awful thing perpetrated in the name of religion. But uh, Isaiah tells us that the nations of the earth are but a drop in the bucket. You know when you let a bucket down in the well and, uh, and pull that, dump it, immerse it down in there and turn it over and get you full of water and bring it up? And while you're getting that water, well then that rope was wet and there's a little drop falls down in that bucket. All right, the whole nations of the earth, Isaiah says, ain't nothing but a, a drop off of a drop of water off of that down in the bucket. And then in in the seventh and eighth verses of the same chapter, he says, the nations are no more than the dust on the on the scales, on the balances. See this this talks about the art weighed in the balance and found morning. All right, now uh, Isaiah says that the nations of the world are no more than the dust that you can't see and that doesn't affect the balance on the scales that don't uh, cause it to, to register. See, wrong. That's how insignificant nations, peoples are in the sight of God. All right, that ought to be really. All right. <clears throat> Chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now, <clears throat> Darius the Mede, he's 62 years of age. Uh, Daniel is, has been given, elevated to the position under Darius, to the uh, position of prime minister. I mean, he has a very important position uh, Place. He is the first president over these 120. Uh, it says, uh, but now notice it, please arise to set over the kingdom. I repeat that the kingdom is the same territory that they had in the main with some, uh, it, it included all of the Babylonian kingdom, but uh, it in it, uh, the kingdom includes authority for Darius to reign over that kingdom. See? He's the boss. Alright? Uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 2 says, And over these three presidents, uh, and over these three presidents, that is, over the 120 uh, satraps, or 120 provinces, uh, and divisions of his kingdom, over these 
Darius appointed three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first. That is, he was the chief. He was head of the three. That the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Now, <clears throat> you see, these, these three presidents, the, uh, uh, the little chiefs would bring all of their reports to these three presidents. And then, if the presidents get in a squabble, well, then they take it to Daniel. Daniel is over. He's a final word. And, of course, he, anything that has to go beyond Daniel, he takes it to Darius. Uh, now, the, the purpose of this uh, is the same as with all kings. All they're interested in when they capture a country is to tax that country, to make sure that they get the revenue then they get uh, uh, the monthly or annual uh, taxation that goes into the treasury. And that's what he says here, that the king should have no damage or that the king, uh, should uh, his taxes wouldn't be uh, decreased. See, still want the government to run. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was taken... Had taken uh, was taken money from Egypt and from uh, Judah uh, and from all the other little uh, uh, places, kingdoms. All right, verse three. Then this Daniel. Uh, Daniel is referred to several times. This Daniel, that Daniel. You see, Belshazzar referred to him. Are you that Daniel that come from Judah that my father brought? And uh, then, uh, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now the king thought about it. He, 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 he thought very seriously about giving uh, Daniel a number one post, see? In fact, he'd just kind of take it easy and let Daniel run the kingdom. But see, thoughts don't get the job done. He didn't get that position. <laughs> and uh, so, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. Now, you see, Daniel had been rewarded. These um, Medes and Persians now saw that this view. Now look, we just captured Babylon. We've been working. We've been fighting for this new kingdom. And now then, here he is, takes a Jew, one in captivity, and he's wanting to make him over us. And they've got jealous and envious. And brother, jealousy and envy can, can, can cause more trouble than than uh, than old even Cyrus out there uh, tunneling un, under the under the ditch. Uh, so now he says the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion and fault. And what did that include? They sought to find occasion against him concerning the kingdom, concerning the way he'd managed affairs, concerning some decision, concerning handling this problem or that problem and they couldn't uh, so they got an auditor to come in see they wanted to audit his books they wanted to uh, give him the uh, like the internal revenue they wanted 
go back and see if they couldn't find some fault, some error somewhere that Daniel had made in his bookkeeping. And uh, the the scripture says they couldn't find any. Uh, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. None in his books or none in his person. Daniel was pretty good old boy. He was a uh, he, he he was a good statesman here. See, all right, he's a good businessman. Then said these men. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel. See, this Daniel. This Jew Daniel. It's a term of, uh, in the New Testament, the, in Acts you read about this way, the men of this way. See, sarcastic uh, designation of the ones that followed uh, the, uh, the teachings of Paul and Lord Jesus Christ. See. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against uh, this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his gods. Now, in verse 6, you have the first time, you, you want to notice this word assembled. This word assembled means a tumultuous assembling. It means a gathering, uh, a, a gathering together that's in haste. Right. It's um, very noisy, unruly. Doesn't means uh, uh, it, it not even becoming these princes. But now notice, uh, they assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Now King Darius was, uh, according to history, he was a very weak king and was very easily led and, and persuaded and uh, he was given to flattery, as most of the ancient kings were. And anybody liked to, you know, he'd brag on them. And, and these princes got together and said, Boy, let's make him a god. Let's make him god for a day. See? A god for 30 days what this is. God for a month. You heard of that program that we had the queen for a day? Well, now, these princes, they get together now. And they rush into the presence of of King Darius, and they they're going to make him God for a month. And here's their proposition: They assembled together to the king and said, "Thus unto him, King Darius, live forever." All the presidents, and that's a lie because they didn't even talk to Daniel. See, all the presidents of thy kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute. And to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. See that? Now they're after Daniel, but they're after him on the grounds of his religion. And so they get together and says, now then you are the only god now. Uh, anybody that makes a petition to any god or to any person other than to you, for 30 days, we want you to sign this this statute. They'd already had it cut and dry. All he had to do was sign it, put his signet ring to it, see? All right? So, uh, 
Uh, well, that, that made him feel good, see. Well, now then, here they are, new king. No doubt they said, uh, well, we want to establish our kingdom. We don't, want, we don't want to let anybody get in here. We want to make this thing sure. We want to find out who these people are. And uh, so we don't want anybody calling on any god other than our gods or any man other than you. All right, verse uh, 8 says, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing. You see, they already had it fixed up. That it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree without asking a question. He was just so puffed up. He just felt so good that uh, that and uh, and then he signed it. Now then, since he signed it, now you want to watch. These princes, uh, they're going to remind the king about it. They're not going to let him forget that he signed this decree. And uh, <clears throat> yet, uh, he signed it without contacting Daniel. See, Daniel wasn't converted. Daniel don't know anything about this. Now, when Daniel knew, verse 10, that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now then, this same verse, you can uh, do it exactly like we did uh, over in uh, in chapter 3 with the with this. And children in the the boys in the furnace, you know, we, we notice we called your attention to what they didn't do, and what they uh, could have done, and what they did do, and what uh, God did. See, all right. Now it's the same thing here with Daniel. Now, now you see they were going to trap him. Now they're going to they're setting the stage to eavesdrop on. They had no electronic devices. Uh, to slip in the room, to eavesdrop, or to, to spy on him, you see. So, uh, but they assembled. And they could see through this open window. And they knew that Daniel had a four time. His custom was three times a day they'd heard about that. They knew that. From, that's why this statue was written. See, they, they wrote it in order to get him while he was praying. All right, now, Daniel, when Daniel heard about it, you see, it doesn't tell us how Daniel came into possession of this knowledge, but when he received knowledge that the writing was signed, he didn't go to the king and say, why didn't you consult me? He didn't go to these princes and pull his rank over. He was over them. He was number one president, see, he didn't exercise his authority. And, but now, what could he have done to escape the trap? He could have just closed the window, couldn't he? But now, he didn't open the window. Look at that. In verse, verse, verse 10, doesn't say a thing in the world about him opening the window and praying to God. The window was already open. That window hadn't been shut. Why? Because that window was his view 
toward the direction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was fallen. The temple had fallen. The walls are gone. It's vanished, but yet Paul or Daniel's heart was still toward Jerusalem. He loved Jerusalem. He loved the temple, you see. And he prayed to the God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel, three times a day. He could have just closed that window, and they couldn't have seen it. Or, he said, well, now, he could have gone on strike for 30 days and not pray for 30 days. That is, openly, publicly. He could have just prayed silently. He could have gone down in the basement. See? But no, he didn't. His regular routine of living wasn't altered. He just went about his business as, the Bible says, aforetime. He went ahead and prayed. See? And uh, then, uh, when, when, uh, when he prayed, look at verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king. They saw that, see? So they rushed, they, they run. That's all they wanted. They just wanted to, uh, to verify it. Then they came near to the king and spake concerning the king's degree. And now notice, they remind the king what he had done. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. He didn't care. He still went about admitting. But he didn't offend the king. He didn't offend these men, the princes, the presidents. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Can you picture Nebuchadnezzar doing that? Over Nebuchadnezzar, he raised up whom he would. He slew whom he would. He put. He kept alive whom he would. The uh, Nebuchadnezzar's will was law. What he did was right. See, he didn't do it because it was right. What he did was right. He worshipped and he reigned as a sovereign god, subject non accountable to no one. But the Medes and Persians, this second kingdom that Daniel interpreted to Nebuchadnezzar. Thou art the head of gold, but after you will be a kingdom of silver. That's inferior. Don't have as much power. And here's evidence of it. Here was a king that was that liked Daniel. He wanted to make him even higher than the chief of the presidents. 
And now when he found out that uh, Daniel is, uh, has been, uh, uh, that he's guilty of praying to his God, which he didn't care, but now he had signed something that was binding the king. The king was bound by law. So his power, it's, it's going to show you. And each of these kingdoms, we're going to show you that that power decreases. Just as the value of the metals in the image, gold to silver to brass to iron to clay, there's deterioration all the way. And in the beast of Daniel, you're going to see that there's a lion, a bear, and a leopard. Down in line, the king of the fires. Bear second, then the leopard. You're going to see that as we go through here. Well, uh, Darius made an attempt to deliver Daniel till sundown. What does yeah. that mean? Did he try to figure out yeah. some way? To yeah, yeah. He tried to, to figure some way of... To keep of, his honor and Yeah, to, to keep his honor. See, and not go... But, but the law of the Medes and Persians, see, that man, once they signed that thing, but that was law. Now, that was a foolish thing to to make that such a law. But uh, but in a way, uh, it's good to know that a law out there is not going to be changed. They're not going to change the law in the middle of uh, of some operation or some period of time. But uh, it's foolish in its abstract sense. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Daniel, the king did come visit him, see. Uh, thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Darius believed he would. He hoped he would. And uh, so, uh, uh, <clears throat> and a stone, now, but notice now, verse 17, a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, and with his signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Uh, you ha- here you have uh, uh, a figure, an illustration, or at least words that cause you to, to think of the tomb of Jesus. Jesus was in the tomb, uh, and the tomb was sealed. See, by the Roman Roman seal, he couldn't break that. Stone was rolled against the, the the tomb, see, the door, and that sealed. All right, now then here, Daniel is placed in the lion's den, and a stone over the mouth of it, and it's sealed. Daniel is in the place of death for all uh, all purpose. Why, they don't expect to see Daniel anymore. Those old boys that got ready to put him in there, they figured that Daniel, they are, they, them lions are, uh, are hungry. And and they'll take care of Daniel right away. Bring his king in, had any hope. <laughs> but, but he expressed... He, he's a, he, yeah. All right. Yeah, he, 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 he thought so. Now, uh, Daniel... Already now, this is the third time, third great trial Daniel's had. The first trial in chapter 1, he was tried 
are tempted according to the flesh. You remember when the king set before him wine, but he preferred water. Uh, and they set before him meat that had been offered to these idol gods. Rather than eat that meat from the idol that had been used in the worship of idols, he preferred vegetables. See? All right, that was according to flesh. It was according to his appetite. In chapter 2, Daniel was tried according to his mind. Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, had dreamed a dream. They called the wise men in. Knowledgeable people, see? But they couldn't do it. And then they called Daniel. But Daniel, too, he was wise enough to go to God for his answer, see? There wasn't a man on earth that could interpret that dream, relate the dream to him, and then interpret it. But Daniel was tried, tested there. And he went to the other three boys, and they prayed. And God that night revealed the dream to Daniel and the interpretation of As a second test, great test came before Daniel. And now we have another test. And this time it's a spiritual, a test of his soul. It's a test of his worship, you see. They had accused him uh, of praying to his God. Well, he admitted that, see. And now because of his prayer life, and because of his relationship to God, and he had, because people became jealous of him, and they accused him on, uh, on the grounds of his relation to God. So he was tested this third time, you see, was a spiritual, a soul. His soul was tested and tried. All right? In verse uh, 18, now notice, And the king went to his palace, Oh, what a nice bed he had to sleep on. And passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Boy, you have all sorts of comfortable beds. But if that consciousness is, is bothering him, he can't sleep, see? And that's what's the matter with old Darius. See, Darius couldn't sleep with the comforts of a palace whereas Daniel just slept right through the presence of the lion they didn't bother him they didn't disturb him and notice verse 19 the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions and when he came to the den he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest, continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. See, that's customary greeting. Uh, my God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth. And they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocent was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. In other words, he says, I haven't bothered you. I haven't disobeyed you. I haven't violated any statute 
other than praying to my God. See, and so he says. Then said Daniel. Uh, uh, then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. See, Daniel didn't ask to come out of the den. Same way with the three Hebrew children. You know, they walked in that den because there was a fourth person with them. And the only way they could get them out of that fire furnace was to call them out. They had to get them out. They didn't run out through the door. They stayed in there. Same way with Daniel. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. See? And no manner of hurt was found upon him. Because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. But they never did hit the bottom, hit the floor. That are like pitching a bird or a biscuit at a hound dog, and he catches it, and he don't hit the door. That's what happened to these that would have Daniel to be eaten, consumed by the by the lions. They in turn received that sentence. Same way with Haman, you know. A little later, Haman wants to get rid of all these Jews. He can't stand them. And uh, he builds a gallus for Mordecai. But Haman was the guy that hanged from the gallus that he built. And it was the same way with the uh, in the third chapter with reference to the three uh, Hebrew boys. All right, then verse 25, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree. You see these decrees, boy, these, these kings, they like to make them decree. See, they put forth a statement. That in every dominion of my kingdom, see, that's every dominion, every division, every uh, satrapy, every uh, province uh, of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. See, I make a decree. That decree was that that all men tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? You see now, in the book of Daniel, one of the great drawbacks by liberal scholars is that they run into too many miracles. See, there are four great uh, periods in history when God uh, manifested uh, miraculous powers through uh, individuals. The first was in the period of Moses, you know, when he was in Egypt. 
and uh, the second was uh, in the in the days of Elijah and Elisha, when Ahab, the wicked king, had and Jezebel, his wife, had so brought idolatry all over the land, and they challenged God. They were making and defying God, you see, uh, just like Belshazzar had done. Uh, in, in this, uh, in the fifth chapter. Well, the, then uh, the, the third period is this period, the period of Daniel. And then the fourth period was in the days of, uh, of the ministry of the Lord on the earth. So there's just four different times that you read, you don't read of. Uh, a uh, a display of miraculous power, except in these three period, these four periods of time, and uh, not that God was able uh, to do it or didn't do it, but uh, in history it always was connected with the challenge to the deity of Christ and of God. In other words, is Jehovah God or is the gods of Egypt God? See. Uh, and on Mount Carmel it was Baal or Jehovah in Babylon it's Bel B-E-L Bel the prince the chief prince Babylonian God and uh, and so in the days of the Lord Jesus it was the fact that people doubted his deity they said he wasn't God they said he's a man or who what we know as father and mother his brothers didn't believe on him until after the, the resurrection. And uh, so uh, uh, they, he, was, uh, uh, he had many foes, by, beginning with his family, his foes and his friends. Uh, and he had, uh, and in order to display and to reveal and to make known, the fact that he was the uh, word that was in the beginning with God, that he was God, well, then uh, it pleased God to uh, give the miraculous powers uh, to the preachers, to the seventy, to the twelve, in a special way, see, to verify the fact, to prove that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. John wrote his gospel and says, These signs, I've written these signs, uh, in order that you might know. And he called them signs, not miracles. He referred to them as signs. Why? Because they were sign of the fact that Christ was God, that he was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Then the last verse of uh, chapter 6 says, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius, according to history, only reigned two years, where Cyrus the Persian uh, reigned nine years. But now, verse 28 again uh, shows us that, uh, that, that there are two that the, the Medes and the Persians are one empire, one kingdom. Now, if, if we remember that, uh, it, it'll help us in, 
in the succeeding chapters. Now, when Daniel was in the den, uh, and God, what did God do? We said what we noticed what he didn't do and what he could have done and what he did do. Now, God delivered him. Uh, but he delivered him from danger, out of the danger. He didn't keep him away out of the presence of danger, see? But he kept him, delivered him in the presence of danger. Danger all about him. He made friends that night with all them lions in that den. See, they didn't hurt him. The Lord shut their mouths. The Lord exercised power over him. He was right there. The same lines, and just moments later, after Daniel came out, these that wanted Daniel uh, to be devoured by lions were themselves devoured by these same lions. That shows you there was still the danger it was that. And it overcame these others. But to Daniel, he was delivered. Now that's important to understand clearly what happened when you understand the tribulation. See? And about the deliverance of God's people. And the verse that you uh, referred to in Jeremiah 23, 6. And also Jeremiah 33, 14, 15, 16. Those passages speak of the time when, when, the Christ, when Christ shall, uh, shall reign and when his kingdom will have been set up on this earth. When that stone strikes, smites, comes out of the mountain. Well, we... Is this a... <clears throat> Talking about, you know, that gold and silver and bread and iron and clay. Does that, that also show that in this, you know, about the indication or imply that uh, as this goes along, that the thing will grow weaker and worse? And uh, is that yes. in that too? Mm-hmm. Yes, that, uh, see, that, that's shown. Weaker, weaker nation, why everything's. Probably be more corruptible, or is that idea there? Well, it shows the weakness. The weak, the element of weakness is the main thing. That it's a deterioration. And uh, uh, so, uh, authority or what? What would that be involved in? Well, uh, yes, the the authority of uh, of the rulers. Yeah, and uh, well, when uh, see uh, when you get into the kingdom of Greece. Alexander, of course, he was a dictator, but he had his advisors, don't you see? Uh, and Rome, they had a senate, you see. They had men who counseled Caesar. And just like the president, just like a democracy. See, a democracy is not as strong as a dictatorship. See, when you've got more people, uh, when, when more people uh, have to give consent, uh, to a thing before the president can do anything, where the president hand tied, the president might need to do something immediately. Well, if he's a dictator, he can do it. See, and then tell them to do that later. What to do later? See, sometimes why 
our presidents have tried to do something of that nature, you see. When in reality it might be the best for the country. See, well, in the next war, why, uh, the, if there's a, uh, if there's a, uh, one of these uh, atom wars and, and so on, missiles, well, it may be too late to, to call a conference. Because uh, you're going to need somebody that can issue a command to intercept the missiles, see? And, and that's what this country is afraid of. That's the reason why they give the president emergence of powers. And that's the reason they have several who try to be with him all the time to advise him. And he's got the hand on that, on that box to press that signal. See? A state of emergency, a war, immediately. I wonder if that thought there on the far reaching, just like we studied tonight, you mentioned that. Just like, you know, in our, our nation now, it seems like we're having a hard time to execute anything. Right? Yeah, well, that's or it. Make the law powerful, just weak well, and... and the, that's that's uh, the purpose of the enemy, is working within our own government, see? And they'll stall they, in order to delay, postpone, reconsider, amend... All of these things, most of them are for the purpose of playing into the hands uh, of some sinister power, see. And, uh, I mean, they use that because they use our government the way that our normal uh, procedure that's been set up by the Constitution. Why, they take advantage of, his, of its weakness, see. Well, are we living in a day of that? On the feet now. That uh, yes, oh yes. See, the 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 uh, the lead kingdom has already gone, disappeared. So, I mean, it came to an end in 476 A.D. Uh, that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. That's when Rome fell in, just like Belshazzar, like the Babylonian government uh, fell tonight, as we studied. You see, now Belshazzar. Now you notice, see, now that's that first king of that head. Uh, the history of the head terminated tonight in our study. And a new kingdom, the silver, the arms, arms represented the Medes and the Persians, you see, uh, two and one, all right? We're, we're now in that kingdom. And we'll be in that kingdom until the Grecian kingdom, uh, until Ele when Alexander... In 332, comes to this same place, same city, Babylon, and conquers uh, uh, the Persians. You, you're saying that people that said if you're going to let that be literal, uh, uh, then that would do away with some of the all-millennial thinking like that when this stone comes oh, yeah. and does away with all that, you're going to let that be literal? That uh, yes, uh, well, what it is, the stone was a literal, it was actually a stone that's molded. But now, that uh, stone stood for and represented the kingdom of, of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be his kingdom. Now, you see, the uh, post-millennialist today uh, teaches, uh, and of course they had a field day in the early... Uh, in the early 20s through the 30s. Oh, you couldn't... Uh, uh, well, everything in this country uh, among the different theologians, they were 
post-millennialists. They believe that the kingdom, they can see this, the preaching the gospel extending and being preached everywhere to all nations, see. And uh, they, by preaching it, they were rolling that stone. That, that stone was getting like a snowball. It was getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the whole world is going to become evangelized, Christianized. They preach the gospel to them. They believe it. They be, become a child of God. See? And that's, that's what they mean by preaching the gospel. Of course, liberals then came along and took the same idea of the post-millennialists. The post-millennialist says that it's God that's causing the stone, the, the stone to become a great mountain. See, the post-millennialist gave God the credit and that it was uh, through their, they, they believed God was blessing their efforts and God was saving the people and the kingdom was being built. Well, then comes along the liberal and they preach the kingdom too. They use the same term. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And advancing the kingdom, there's terms that the post millennialists use. The liberal used it the same thing. But the post, uh, the liberal was saying that now then we're going to do this through human activity, through grants, endowments, through nations getting together and brother love and and uh, and of themselves, see, being charitable and helping one another. And the kingdom would grow and grow, see. And there was no, there was no uh, new birth talk. They didn't believe that was necessary, and they deny it even. They make fun of it, you see. Well, uh, then that took over in the schools, and that's, uh, and that's the uh, ecumenical council church position today, see. And uh, they won't advance the kingdom. They want the kingdom of Christ to come. But uh, but when they say the kingdom of Christ to come, they mean goodwill. Like this old boy. This old boy was uh, promising, uh, uh, Jim Jones was promising his, uh, the people's, uh, the members to his uh, following. He promised them a paradise on earth. They thought they were going to have heaven down there. That's the reason they didn't want to leave. He was going to have everything they wanted was going to be there, but... Uh, at the present time, they had to work from uh, from ten to fifteen hours a day. So some of them are now telling. So the facts will come out of it. But now, uh, old Schweitzer, Albert Schweitzer, he he was a man that uh, did more and put forth. I mean, by deed, uh, he didn't believe in the supernatural, but he believed in. Uh, that that if men would get behind him and help him, that he would take his knowledge of medicine and and help the poor in in the foreign countries, and he give his life to to that uh, that philosophy. And they just say that if we could just get more people to do it, well, we're sending the Peace Corps, the Peace Corps objective, you know, of teaching and training the others, the illiterate, and so on. We're trying to tell them to be, how to be self-supporting. This one. Well, that's advancing the kingdom to the liberals. See. Anything that's creating goodwill and uh, among nations, instead of doing it, what's happening? Though you uh, you help one, you turn another against you. And, and the, uh, our enemy a few years ago, our greatest enemy then, well, uh, it's our strongest ally today. Japan. 
But in the history, you're talking about where we are, uh, and you see since then, this uh, one of the one of the great problems uh, in studying the prophecies, some especially comes from the dispensationalists. They they teach that there will be a revived Roman Empire. See, well now that's not necessary to believe to to teach that. Uh, this image, the the stone strikes in the toes. See, in the feet. And you're going to find that 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 represents the Bible says that they represent kingdoms, kings, and kingdoms. Thank you for listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcasting app. Also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others and help our ratings by giving us five stars and writing a review within your podcast app. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also.